It's Wednesday. Let's get it going with another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network here at Midweek. And uh, this, uh, I, I guess for all practical purposes, is going to be the very best of the weather that we may see. Some people are saying all the way until spring again. I hope that's not the case. I hope that's not the case either. Yeah, we've still got some. It may not get as nice as today, but it'll be decent. Yeah. Anyway, it's uh, at the moment pretty splendid for the harvest, and I bet a lot of people are going to try to make some pretty good uh, uh, in rows in the rows today, aren't they, Shaley Peters? That is right. It has certainly been a situation, especially since all of the rain that we received not that long ago. kind of make hay while the sun shines, as they say. There are, again today, although the wind has calmed down a little bit, it's still windy out today, a lot of combines trying to get mostly corn. I think people are pretty much done with uh, soybeans now, a lot of corn coming out of fields around here. And I understand that part of what we'll be doing on midday today is a harvest update, right? Yes, that's right. And before we get to that, we're going to back up a little bit. At 12.13, we, of course, have ag news for you. Uh, lead stories there, Senators Heitkamp from South Dakota, Heidi Heitkamp, and Joni Ernest out of Iowa have introduced a bipartisan bill, and it's to help farmers suffering from low commodity prices. Crop insurance is being talked about a lot right now with the farm bill discussions going on, and so their bill would strengthen the ARC uh, CEO safety net program with this next farm bill. So we'll discuss that at the 12:13. At 12:19, I've got uh, Hannah Thompson Weeman on with the Animal Agriculture Alliance, and essentially what they do is they support anybody who needs it um, and kind of fighting some of the outside pressures that come in and so they've got college Aggies online and they're reaching out to college students to give them resources to support the ag industry and it's kind of neat um, we'll talk about that at 1219 and then the newsmaker we've got your harvest update Bruce Garter our resident Iowa broadcaster he's visiting with Jason Gibson of DuPont and he gives a harvest update all across Nebraska so a lot of good information coming out of that one. And then at 117, Bryce Duskett is on with Dr. Corey Walters. He's with UNL Extension, and they discuss crop insurance as well. They've got an upcoming workshop, and Bryce is going to tell you all about that with Corey Walters. So right. a lot of good stuff coming your way Boy, this Monday. That, that is a lot of information. Thank you, Shaley. Dodgers up one to nothing. They are. I was glad to see none of the players melted last night. <laughs> yeah. First pitch, 103. Yikes. Must be a little toasty out there again tonight. Yeah, well, the pitching was hot, too. I don't know how Justin Turner, the star of the game, of course, he's got that red hairdo <laughs> and that Civil War beard. Yeah. I mean, I would think he would just be cooking in that. Wouldn't and those type of yeah. conditions doesn't slow him down. Also, we'll talk some college football. KU, K-State, they'll play on Saturday. We'll be about to head coach. Bill Snyder about that. All right. That's always a great rivalry. Bob Brogan is over on the business desk today. U.S. stocks are falling as... Earnings reports disappoint. Also, Walgreens is going to shutter 600 stores as part of its Rite Aid deal. And also, Amazon wants the keys to your house. They want to be able to get into your house and deliver stuff. So when you're not there, they can just walk in. And and I'm saying, just say no. And I want to say good luck with that, Amazon. Total takeover. That's something. Wow. Uh, there's just a level of trust that yeah. I can't mm-hmm. quite come to there. All of this and more coming up for you today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins joins us with a look at ag weather brought to you today by Holdridge Irrigation. Boy, oh boy, I tell you what, I just feel like soaking this in today, don't you? <laughs> Better bottle it up, can it up, do whatever you yeah. can do to soak up this nice weather for today. Absolutely. It's not going to look anything like this by about tomorrow <laughs> at this time, right? No, exactly. Yeah, a big change in our weather on the way. We also had some big weather in about 20 years ago. Do you remember about 20 years ago, a big blizzard hitting in the late part of October? I do kind of remember that. Yeah, yeah. that was 20 years ago. trick-or-treating in Parkas. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, yeah, 20 years ago on this date, October 25th to 26th, Colorado, Nebraska, Kansas, and Iowa, portions of the area hit hard with an early season snowstorm. Saw some snow totals of around 12 to 24 inches in portions of south-central Nebraska to the south of the Platte River mainly. Uh, Deweese had up to two feet of snow from Lincoln to Gretna. They had probably about 13 to 15 inches of snow and also about 12 to 24 inches of snow over northwest Kansas with this system. She's a fickle old broad, (laughs) I'll tell you. And I remember this storm well because I was coming back from Omaha. Uh I hit the Platte River Bridge on I-80. Right. Traffic was at a standstill. We couldn't move. The sun was shining, right. and but from that Platte River Bridge to Lincoln, it then took two and a half hours to get there, yeah. and it took six hours to get from Omaha, or from the Platte River Bridge to <laughs> Kearney on the interstate. Remind me what year that was again. <laughs> 1997, no 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. So wow. uh, Temperatures before that had been in the 70s and 80s, and a lot of trees had not lost their leaves, so there was a lot of downed power lines with the trees getting soaked with a lot of snow, and that storm cost tens of millions of dollars to clean up and also took the lives of five people. We do have a map of the snowfalls, snowfall totals from that storm on our KRBN Facebook page. If All you right. Look at that. Well, then, by comparison, you've got good news for us. <laughs> yeah, just going to be windy and cold today. Better enjoy it. Probably our warmest day we see for the rest of the fall and winter. The warm air with the ridge of high pressure overhead and westerly winds near critical fire can Conditions today, but the wind's not strong enough to meet any criteria for a red flag warning. Winds tonight expected to turn to the south before we see a strong cold front arrive by early tomorrow. That cold front tomorrow racing south during the morning and will return those strong northwest winds to our area and those gusts once again up around 45 temperatures tomorrow afternoon. Expected to fall as more cold air drops in behind that front. A hard freeze likely region wide tomorrow, Friday, and Saturday night across the area. Friday will be the coldest day, so the winds remain on the strong side. Also, some low pressure tracking from North Dakota into Iowa could develop some sprinkles, maybe some flurries in eastern Nebraska. Ridge of high pressure starting to moderate the temperatures over the weekend, but it's not going to last long. Cooler and breezy conditions return with another front by Monday. In our long-term forecast, the likelihood Nebraska and Kansas will be cooler than normal for temperatures Monday through the first seven days of November. The precipitation forecast for both Nebraska and Kansas starts out drier than normal early next week. Then we head to a more active period of above normal precipitation in Nebraska and Kansas late next week through the 7th of November. The weather factors affecting the market decisions today include unsettled harvest conditions in the Midwest and less than needed rain for central Brazil. West of the Rockies, very warm. Dry weather will persist through the end of the week. An early season cold outbreak expected to engulf the central one-third of the U.S. by Friday and reach the Midwest and Southeast over the weekend. In advance of that cold blast, late week rain could become heavy across the eastern U.S., while snow expected in the upper Great Lakes. The moisture in the eastern Midwest 
will keep harvest progress slow. A hard freeze also forecasted much of the Midwest, and for many areas that will be their first hard freeze of the season. Cooler conditions with some freezing temperatures in the Southern Plains will be closely watched for some possible stress to newly emerged winter wheat. And central Brazil's forecast only indicating light to locally moderate rain the next five days. That's less than needed to benefit their soil moisture and also going to keep the soybean planting at a slower pace than a year ago. Also concerned in central Brazil over possible replanting due to hot and dry conditions for their recently planted soybeans. But for us, cold and windy by tomorrow. Enjoy these temperatures. Right now we're in the low and mid-60s and headed towards some mid-70s steam and some low 80s across the area today. All right. Well, it's going to seem a lot different, so you <laughs> might want to judge, uh, you know, tomorrow morning what jacket you take. Uh, might uh, You might want to uh, manage to grab the other one, the heavier one, on your way out the door uh, because it's going to, by the time you get to about lunchtime tomorrow, you're really going to feel it. And my, my guess is this is going to turn some heads when it hits. Too. Yeah, exactly. A lot of people probably not expecting it. And as we head towards about Friday morning, we're looking at a spread of feels-like temperatures from the upper 70s today to probably low 20s by Friday morning for feels-like <laughs> temperatures with the wind. Must be in a beautiful Nebraska <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. When you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. a bipartisan bill to help farmers suffering from low commodity prices. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network as we take a check of your midday ag news. While it's widely expected that the House and Senate Agriculture Committees will make several changes to the Agricultural Risk Coverage Program, or ARC, in the next Farm Bill, a pair of senators put down their bipartisan marker for adjusting the way ARC County calculates county revenue. Senator Joni Ernst, a Republican from Iowa, and Senator Heidi Heidkamp, a Democrat from North Dakota, introduced a bill yesterday to shift the data used for ARC County and change how payments are determined based on where a farm is physically located. Along with that, the senators want to give State Farm Service Agency committees more discretion to change county yields as well. The senators, both members of the Senate Agriculture Committee, stated their bill's goal is to strengthen ARC County to better support farmers during tough times like low commodity prices or drought and make sure they get their accurate payments they deserve. The senators noted their bill is backed by several farm and commodity groups such as the American Farm Bureau Federation, National Farmers Union, American Soybean Association, the National Corn Growers Association, and others. And that can be found at ruralradio.com. And the Nebraska legislature will have much to deal with this next session, including some bills such as the NRD's Bill LB-98, left over from last session. The Rural Radio Network's Jabella Guzman has more. Senator Steve Erdman of the Nebraska legislature was in the panhandle recently where he discussed his tax relief bill and restated his decision to stand against LB-98, a bill which would reset the sunset of the NRD's authority to levy an additional three cents for compliance to state mandates. Erdman says the bill would extend an unnecessary tax. Eight, nine years ago, they put in place a three cent excess levy in case he ran across something that was above and beyond the call of their funding. So that three cents was put in place, and that three cent extension of that 
NRD funding is a property tax increase, and I am not for increasing property tax. Dave Wolf, Information and Education Coordinator at the North Platte NRD, says the levy allows the NRD to uphold mandates set by the state. We have utilized an alternative cropping program, an allocation buy-down. All these produce consumptive use to meet our obligations, and those, again, are state-mandated obligations. So we're concerned that the states also dip into local control. Herdman says the NRDs will be able to function just fine without the levy, but it will be up to the legislature to make that decision when it meets for its next session this winter. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. And the Senate Finance Committee Tuesday advanced the nomination of Greg Dowd as Chief Agriculture Negotiator to full Senate. The move puts Dowd closer to the North American Free Trade Agreement negotiations with one vote remaining until he can take his post at the U.S. Trade Representative's office. Chairman Orrin Hatch of Utah says of the Trump administration that it is essential that his administration is well-staffed and ready to get to work on trade in urging the Senate to act quickly to confirm Dowd. Last week, Senator Agriculture Committee Chairman Pat Roberts said Dowd needs to be at the negotiating table to represent U.S. agriculture as part of the NAFTA talks. Roberts and the White House agreed that agriculture exports are key to addressing the U.S. trade deficit as part of the NAFTA talks. And finally yesterday, the Nebraska Department of Agriculture Director Greg Ibaugh congratulated a select group of college students for their commitment to serve the ag industry as members of the 2017-2018 Nebraska Agricultural Youth Council. This year's council is comprised of 21 young men and women from all over the state. More on that story at RuralRadio.com with a midday check of your ag news. I'm Shaylee Hager on the Rural Radio Network. Hundreds of college students have come together for animal agriculture. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and we visit today with Hannah Thompson Weeman about this with the Animal Agriculture Alliance. She's vice president of communications. And Hannah, this is exciting and really encompasses a lot of different animal ag groups for college Aggies online. Tell us about this program and what you guys are doing here. We started the College Aggies online program in 2009 because we recognize that college students are unfortunately a prime target for activist groups who are opposed to animal agriculture and spend a lot of time and use a lot of resources to share myths and misinformation about the industry and hope to turn them away from eating milk, meat, poultry, and eggs. So activist groups are very active on campuses with leafleting and screening movies and protests and petitions and all these other types of things. And recognizing that trend, we started this program to help college agriculture students who are so passionate and knowledgeable about the industry be confident and lifelong advocates for animal agriculture. The program is designed to provide skills and training and communications and engagement. Students can compete either as clubs or individuals. The individual competition is very focused on social media. So they receive different challenges like writing a blog post or posting a picture or making an infographic. In the club division, it's more focused on events like having booths on campuses or doing a classroom visit to an elementary school and reading a book with a positive message about agriculture. But throughout the competition, all of the competitors get to attend webinars with industry mentors. There are mentors that help coach them along and score their assignments. 
And, of course, it all adds up to winning some really great scholarship funds. There's $16,000 in prizes up for grabs this year, and those are both large prizes for our top three individuals and clubs and also some mini prizes throughout the way. And who all is involved with this as far as the industry really pulled from all of the different livestock sectors here? Part of College Aggies Online is also giving them exposure to different parts of animal agriculture that they might not know about. So for that very reason, we pulled together representatives from across the industry to serve as industry mentors and webinar hosts and talk with the students about the issues in their industry and how they can effectively communicate with them. We have quite an exciting roster of mentors this year. We have folks from uh, National Pork Producers Council, National Chicken Council, the North American Meat Institute, uh, Dairy Management Inc., and really all the different sectors of animal agriculture. And these are folks that are both experts in communications and issues management and engagement, but they also are subject matter experts in their individual industry and can help the students learn more and step outside of their comfort zone. One question I wanted to make sure and ask was, while they are stepping out of their comfort zone and really getting involved with this, how can people like us in the ag industry help them out? How can we get involved with them and really work that partnership back and forth? We would love to see people interact with our College Aggies Online competitors. In addition to getting uh, points for the quality of their content, we're also looking at what kind of engagement they get. So are people liking and commenting on their posts and interested in asking questions? So we certainly encourage you to search social media for the hashtag CAO17 and finding their posts and helping them out, asking them questions, resharing, retweeting, and engaging with them throughout the way so that they know that people are listening and interacting with them. Fantastic. It's been Hannah Thompson Weeman visiting with us. She is the Animal Agriculture Alliance Vice President of Communications talking to us about their College Aggies online program. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. It's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, after dropping the World Series opener at Dodger Stadium, the Astros are confident they can bounce back in Game 2 with good reason. Justin Verlander's on the mound, and he's perfect in a Houston uniform. The ALCS MVP is 4-0 with a 1.46 ERA this postseason. That includes his first career relief appearance. He's 9-0 with a 1.23 ERA and 67 strikeouts and 9 outings for the Astros since agreeing to a trade from Detroit that was completed only seconds before the August 31st midnight trade deadline. The Astros are now 0-5, however, in World Series games, having been swept by the White Sox in their only other appearance 12 years ago. Kansas State football team plays in-state rival Kansas this Saturday. It's a unique situation to have two in-state Division I football teams, especially when those teams are in the same conference and only about an hour and a half apart. Wildcat head coach Bill Snyder says this game is always special. Number one, we've got an awful lot of Kansas youngsters in our program, and it's automatically it means something very special to them. Guys from out of state, you know, they've treated it as another game, but, you know, hopefully that the motivation as another game means, you know, we need to be motivated to play as well as we possibly can. But if you're not from in-state, then, you know, be there for your teammates that are from in-state because this is something they live with, you know, year in and year out as much as anybody can. The Wildcats are 3-4 and four this year. The Jayhawks are 1-6. Kickoff time in Lawrence on Saturday is set for 2. Barring a turnaround, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen. This season is turning out to be a forgettable one for Iowa. 
The Hawkeyes have scored 19 points or less in three of their first four league play games and lost all three. Last week, they lost in overtime to Northwestern. Now, the offense has struggled despite sophomore quarterback Nate Stanley putting up some decent numbers, and overall head coach Kirk Ferentz feels he's played okay. I think he's doing an awful lot of good things, and, and uh, you know, like, like anybody that's a first-year star, there's all, you know, plays in every game that you'd love to have back, and even veteran guys, I mean, have those plays. Uh, you know, the challenges when you're a quarterback, it's a little bit more, you know, everybody's got more opinion about your plays than, uh, than if you're a you know, linebacker or some other position, but I think he's doing an awful lot of good things. And For the year, Stanley has thrown 16 touchdowns and been intercepted just three times. Iowa will host Minnesota on Saturday. And there was a feeling of familiarity at the Sprint Center yesterday as the Big 12 gathered for its annual media day. TCU, Baylor, and Texas Tech were among the schools that bring back most of last year's team. But another reason for the familiarity is KU. KU men's basketball team is once again picked to finish atop the league standings. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Clear skies in Nebraska tonight with lows from 40 to 46 degrees. I'm Dave Schroeder. Two correction staff members were arrested over the weekend at the Tecumseh State Correctional Institution for contraband issues. Governor Pete Ricketts says they're taking the problem very seriously. The two uh, folks that were found over the weekend were found because we were the correction staff was correct, you know, questioning people who were coming into you know our our associates who were there and discovered them. So I think it shows it's an ongoing process. We certainly have room to improve, but we are taking this problem very seriously, and we are finding the people that are causing the problem in our correction system. The communications director reports a 53-year-old Richard Freeze and 31-year-old Ryan Tokar were arrested on charges, and both are being held in the Johnson County Jail. Freeze has been employed at the Tecumseh Prison since January of this year. Tokar has been employed as a corporal since November 2016. Facebook is partnering with a developer to build a wind power farm in northeast Nebraska that will supply energy for the company's planned data center. The social media giant announced last week that it has partnered with Trade Winds Energy to build the Rattlesnake Creek Wind Project in rural Dixon County. Facebook plans to use energy from the wind farm to power its upcoming data center in Papillion, a suburb of Omaha. Of the 320 megawatts of power the wind farm will create, 200 of them will be allocated to the data center while the remaining will be available for other buyers. Neither Facebook nor Tradewinds provided a timeline or cost for the wind farm. Nebraska's Secretary of State has scheduled a special election to fill vacancies on a village board that has been rendered powerless by resignations. Three of the five members resigned from the Elmwood Village Board last week, leaving the board without a quorum to conduct business. The board has been riven by disputes. A Democratic candidate for Kansas governor whose three-year-old grandson's body was found encased in concrete has joined the push to reform Kansas's child welfare agency. The Kansas City Star reports a former Wichita mayor, Carl Brewer, says his family filed multiple requests with the Kansas Department of Children and Families to check on his grandson, Evan Brewer, before toddler's remains were found last month. Replay the game, the interview, or feature you missed by catching a podcast right from the front page of KRVN.com in the KRVN News Center. I'm Dave Schroeder.
I'm Bruce Corder on the Rural Radio Network. Despite some limited rainfall in parts of the state during the summer, the crop looks pretty good in the state of Nebraska this year. Jason Gibson is a market development specialist with DuPont Crop Protection. We had a limited amount of rainfall, but uh, come harvest time in October, we've uh, been uh, deluged with a lot of rain. Um, some areas have received already, you know, up to uh, six inches of rain already in the month of October. So uh, we're not even finished with the month, and uh, uh, most of the state has seen anywhere from three to six inches. And that rain had really slowed up uh, harvest progress. But uh, now that the wind's picking up and getting things dried out, we're uh, making some progress. Where was all that rain in uh, July and August when we were looking for it? <laughs> I wish we had uh, had that. It would have sure helped out with uh, the plant health and uh, and definitely stock quality, and that's probably a little bit of our concern now is uh, that uh, June-July being so hot takes a lot out of the crop, and uh, a lot of times this time of year from that type of the year, we see a lot of stock quality issues that uh, end up showing themselves as we uh, begin harvest. Jason, you're covering the whole state. Uh, That's a lot of territory to cover and a lot of diverse ground, different types of ground. What basically are you seeing across Nebraska? Well, there's kind of uh, three primary things I've been seeing across the state, and and again, it's a little bit more geographically focused. Uh, In north-central Nebraska, northeast Nebraska, uh, continuing to see uh, white mold uh, show up again and uh, definitely uh, seeing some results positive results from those that uh, chose to uh, spray in the month of July for white mold. Uh, We have some uh, DuPont approach fungicide treatments out there that are showing anywhere from 7 to 12 bushel uh, yield benefit by uh, spraying for white mold. As we uh, move to western Nebraska, uh, we've historically had quite a bit of uh, challenges year to year for uh, western bean cutworm in corn. Uh, working on the ears. This year, that pressure really moved uh, further in-state, so the central part of Nebraska that generally doesn't experience a lot of western bean cutworm uh, had extreme pressures. Um, In some cases, the fields were 80 to 90 percent infested, and a a treatable threshold for that pest is generally 68 percent. So those two have been a little bit more geographically focused. The the specific issue that's uh, uh, the planning that needs to go into 2018 is though a lot around uh, weed issues and specifically uh, uh, water hemp and palmer amaranth. Those two in particular um, were a real challenge throughout the year, uh, particularly in soybeans. The canopy closure was really slow to take place this year, and uh, customers that maybe just did a post application in their soybean field and didn't put a uh, post-residual herbicide with that treatment, uh, really noticed uh, those late weeds come through at harvest time. Jason, I know before harvest started, uh, we heard yield projections all over the board, and and you've got, as we were talking about, you've got the whole state of Nebraska. Uh, Is that what you're seeing as far as yields go on the corn? Yeah, corn yields and stuff, probably two-thirds, three-quarters of our crop is, I would say, good to excellent. Uh, some really good um, plots have come out, you know, some some of the better uh, yielding fields where we have test plots and so forth. Uh, several of those have hit more in that upper 200, um, even low 300 range. So some pretty exciting top-end yields on the better ground this year. 
What about on the soybean side, Jason? Uh, those those results are excellent as well. Um, you know, probably at least uh, 70, 80 percent of the crop on soybeans has been good to excellent. Uh, again, some of the better yielding fields have been uh, running higher, you know, higher than expected. Uh, I've seen plot results in the 90s, uh, some in the uh, low 100 uh, mark. So anytime you're starting to uh, see some better ground yield, uh, 90 to uh, the low 100 bushel mark, uh, that's a pretty good indication of an exceptional year. Uh, there are pockets within the state uh, that was extremely dry in the month of May and June, um, and even those yields are, are still um, been pretty good given uh, the struggles early in the season. So as we uh, get uh, hopefully towards the end of harvest here, if we can uh, keep keep rolling, uh, what are you telling your producers uh, to be looking for when they're starting to plan for next year already in their heads? Well, this is the time of year to really pay close attention to, uh, you know, pockets that you have uh, been fighting some disease problems in terms of plant health, um, any particular issues that may be recurring on insects, and then starting to try to map out some of the uh, areas that you're struggling with weed control and beginning to think about uh, not only what crop, crop protection purchases that you want to make this fall or early spring uh, to plan for a better 2018, but also starting to think about some cultural practices that you might want to implement that will help you as well. Uh, one suggestion we've been trying to encourage growers to think about from a weed control perspective is maybe thinking about splitting their 30-inch rows around the perimeter and essentially having 15-inch rows around the perimeter of the field. And that's where we're seeing a lot of our heaviest weed pressures along that perimeter. If we can, along with the herbicide program, can combine uh, some cultural practices with that that help uh, with quicker shading in the season, we think that can make a significant uh, positive impact for 2018's harvest. That's Jason Gibson with DuPont Crop Protection, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Now let's get a review of these livestock futures trades today with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, a little a little bit more quiet uh, in the trade today than uh, yesterday, particularly in the cattle. Uh, uh, we're going to close mixed in the cattle. Uh, uh, we did uh, rally early in the day uh, uh, into uh, some new breakout high ground, but uh, uh, we settled back, particularly in the uh, front end. Um, so very choppy, it then it remained very choppy through the remainder of the day. The feeder's all going to close a little bit better uh, as corn slipped off uh, during the session uh, from its highs to even uh, trading lower at, the, at this point. So uh, that helped keep them uh, above water. Uh, cutouts at noon, uh, gee, really, let's just call it steady because it, very little change uh, in the cutouts. So... Uh, it looked like more of a day of uh, relaxation. However, if you look at it, we do have a reversal out of the uh, lead two options. So uh, we'll see if that uh, has any effect on tomorrow's trade. Still awaiting some sort of a cash trade of any meaningful uh, trade. Over in the hogs, uh, cash firm again. We did finish higher. We chopped around most of the day. Uh, cutouts at noon off just a little bit. But uh, kind of a quiet day in the hogs also, but positive, positive uh, close for the day. 
Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities, and you can reach him at 800-328-0134. And the total cattle slaughter for the first three days this week is estimated at 346,000, thousand more than one week ago. Hog slaughter at a million four hundred seven thousand forty two thousand more than a week ago. Bryce Duskett back with you on the Rural Radio Network. Making risk management decisions in a difficult farm economy. That's the theme of the 2017 Crop Insurance Workshop to be held next week in Grand Island. Joining me to discuss more about this event and some of the logistics behind it is Dr. Corey Walters. Corey, just to begin, why don't you give us an overview about the event? So the goal of this year's uh, crop insurance workshop is just like uh, the previous years where we're, we're trying to improve profitable risk management decisions, um, but we're, this time we're focusing on uh, uh, this, this same thing, risk management decision making, in a difficult farm economy. So uh, the, the goal on this, this year, uh, we're focusing uh, more on the, the farm bill and farm policy uh, discussion, uh, in addition to uh, you know, framing the, the crop outlook and livestock outlook. And then uh, for, the, for the end of the conference, uh, we'll have Art Barnaby, a professor and extension economist at Kansas State University, kind of wrap all this thing up with a new farm bill uh, or a topic on new farm bill will it likely add will likely add new choices to the uh, risk management uh, toolbox obviously a uh, big year for the farm bill uh, conversations how much are you talking about that and what are you trying to get from the people that are going to the event as well is it kind of a conversation or more or less giving an overview from you all's perspective so we, we hope that it'll be a conversation and we have two time slots devoted to this uh, the first one is just a Washington view of uh, farm policy, and uh, that will be more of a crop insurance side. And the second one is a farm bill update. And here in Nebraska, we'll have James Wright, the deputy director, uh, deputy district director for Congressman Don Bacon. Talk about it's not just Nebraska. You all have other experts from around the country, kind of the Midwest is the way I see it here. Talk about that uh, aspect of this conference. Yeah, so this uh, this thing started uh, before I, I arrived here in Nebraska, but it is uh, three other states, Colorado, Kansas, and Oklahoma. And so, yeah, we're trying to team up with our uh, uh, strengths and, uh, um, you know, make a, make a better group out of the whole thing. So who should attend this event, Corey? So pretty much anyone in ag. Uh, this one is, uh, you know, geared a little more towards crop insurance agents, but if I were a farmer, I'd be interested in this too. Uh, along with lenders, and we have had a you know a decent amount of bankers come in, uh, professional farm managers. Uh, we had grain merchandisers, commodity brokers, crop consultants, financial analysts, uh, pretty much anyone anyone across the board. But uh, you know this year, with harvest being a little later than normal, we, we're we're expecting not as many farmers and ranchers. Give us some of the dates. When is it happening in in Nebraska? And remind us of the location as well. So uh, this one here in Nebraska is started is on November first, and we are in Grand Island at the Heartland Events Center. So there's two ways you can you can register. You can go on to uh, CropWatch and uh, look underneath the IANR in Nebraska Extension, and that will take you to a link uh, to the registration page. Or you can uh, show up at the workshop, um, and then we'll uh, we'll charge you a little more if you just show up at the workshop. But you can still show up, um, and we do provide. Uh, uh, a good lunch, um, actually a very good lunch, and then uh, some snacks in between. And, Corey, people can use this as continuing education credits. Is that correct? So, yeah, every year uh, this does provide continuing uh, education credits, and uh, we have been uh, uh, granted uh, that we can we can uh, provide those this year. 
Thanks for that information, Corey. And folks, if you cannot attend the Nebraska location, there will be uh, workshops also held in Colorado, Kansas, and Oklahoma. You can go to Rural Radio to learn more about those. You can also register for this event by going to cropinsure.unl.edu. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. What happened today when we had such a nice rally at the beginning? <laughs> I think you hit some levels there. For, uh, December 18, traded up to $4, and that's going to be a... It's a wall of worry, so to speak, in the short run to get above that. It's it's difficult to think that the board has uh, a lot of life above $4. It doesn't really need to trade there for new crop reasons, and uh, uh, I think that you know, folks looking at the second year now in a row where we've just dived into the second half of the year, and I think guys are looking to take some price action at that point. I, I don't I don't think we're, we're going to get far from 350 here, so you, you get a price rally where it pushes up to 355. Don't get bullish on those rallies. I think looking down the curve, there's some opportunity there. You know, we were up around 372, 373, I think, on that March contract at one point. Um, I mean, not that high, maybe 369. Um and that, I think, is, is also a, you know, a mitigating factor. We have these really wide carries right now, and that's going to dictate uh, levels that are down the road. It's going to be pretty attractive for pricing corn. I think in the short run, it's just a difficult market, given that harvest is slow. We really haven't seen the bulk of that pricing yet. And when you look at the commercial commitment of traders report, we talk a lot about the spec side, where they say the spec markets are really short, and they are. But the, the commercial side is very, very flat. They don't have a lot of pricing uh, yet on the books, and that, that tells me that essentially producers are sitting on uh, a lot of risk still. Well, John, you mentioned that, carry and uh, December to March corn, 14 cents, uh, only 11 cents from November to January soybeans. Is that substantial as well? It's, it's better than we've seen. Uh, I mean, wider than we've seen, rather. Um, you know, the last couple of years we've gone into this market, especially on the soybean side, and it's been uh, over. November has been over January, and I think that just pointed towards the need of demand for soybeans in the short term. The demand for soybeans right now really exists on in an idea, so to speak. It's it's the thought that, hey, we're not going to have some, some production down the road. It's almost like I like to equate this to a person who works in a job that maybe doesn't have income that's steady all the time. You know, you have uh, a good couple of months, you make some good money, and then all of a sudden, hey, maybe things aren't looking so hot. The demand tends to fall, the panic rises, and that, that kind of stimulates the price, so to speak, with soybeans. Corn, we have so much product available in the short run, there really isn't a need to have that, uh, uh, you know, that, that panic price, priced in already. And, and, and in wheat, it's almost the exact opposite of soybeans, where nobody wants physical physical wheat right now. It's essentially a, an idea of demand. It's, it's that hope that there's a problem and we're not going to have production down the road. So shorter term, it's... Uh, you know, unfortunate. I think you got to take these rallies when they come, and I wouldn't look for much more in 360 December. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to danielsagmarketing.com.